If you brought one tonight, we're going to make you use it. Thank you, Lord. God has been so good to us, hasn't he? And uh, he is continually faithful and he is continually showing who he is and revealing who he is. is. And I'm thankful for his word tonight. Fills us up and encourages us. Plants seeds in us that will grow into things bigger than we could even imagine that they could be. The thing is, we always, have to, um, we always have to realize that when Jesus said, the word is the seed. Now, tonight, you know, Sister Kim was praying. She mentioned the seed as, as our gifts. That's what 2 Corinthians 9 calls your, your, your financial gifts a seed. And in Galatians, it calls it the same thing. But another type of seed that's, that's even far more important is the seed of the word that Jesus sows in us. And so that seed, Jesus says, when he sows the word... Uh, it grows into something. It's meant to grow into something. Whether or not it grows and how far it grows, how deep it goes and, and how much fruit it bears is dependent on the heart that receives it. A lot of times we think the better the sermon, the more it'll do for me. But according to Jesus, as long as what's being preached is the word of God and as long as it's preached in the spirit of God and the power of God, then really What's going to determine how far it goes in your life and how much fruit it bears is what your heart's like when you receive it. How much do you receive it? The Apostle Paul said something brilliant to the Thessalonians. Said, the reason it was brilliant is because the Holy Spirit said it through him. And he said this. He said, I thank my God consistently that when we came to you, that you didn't hear what I said as a word from man, but you took it as a word from God. And that's what it really is. And it is that word which is performing its work in you. That's so cool, and it's, it's powerful that he says that when you received what that guy was saying, you could have received it as that guy's opinion, but instead they received it as a word from the Lord. And because they received it as the word of God, that word performed something in them. Did you notice it doesn't say they performed the word, but it says the word performed in them. When you receive the word, it is naturally wired to grow. It's not you simply walking out a lot of steps. Now, we do have to obey. We submit ourselves to the word of God. There are times where we walk out what we've learned, right? But nevertheless, the real fruit in your life comes from the word of God by the spirit of God. And so if we'll receive it tonight, if we'll read this and receive it as God speaking to us, I guarantee it'll bear fruit in your life. Let's turn to Acts and and pick up where we left off in Acts chapter 4. For those of you that haven't been with us the past couple months, past few weeks, um, as we've been reading through the book of Acts, uh, we left off, a man got healed in front of the temple. When he got healed in front of the temple, there was a commotion, there was a, an uproar because um, the religious powers were upset that these disciples were preaching about the resurrection and preaching about the Messiah, that being Jesus. So two of the disciples, Peter and John, got called in front of the, the religious court, which was called the Sanhedrin. And as they got called before the court, the court could not really throw them in jail or punish them because they were afraid of the people. Because the people around saw that a man who was over 40 years old and had been lame since he was born, couldn't, couldn't walk, he was a cripple since birth, has now been able to walk. So they, they, as much as they wanted to punish him, they really couldn't because it was too big of a crowd that saw that there was a miracle. So what they did was they threatened Peter and John. And they said, don't you dare speak in this name again. 
Peter and John respond with a very wise response. They say, it's, you, you've got to decide, is it right for us to listen to you or to listen to God? As for us, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. They went back, and, and something interesting happens, because as we said last week, we tend to put these apostles and these, these, these New Testament characters in superhero status. And we can't imagine that they experience the same emotions and the same feelings and the same trouble that we might go through in walking out the plan and the will of God. Nevertheless, Peter and John go back. And there's evidence that they're a little bit shaken by the threats. Now, the threats didn't derail them. They didn't give in to the threats. But it seems like they're a little bit, maybe a little bit intimidated by them because when they go back... One of their main prayers is that God would give them boldness. Now, to me, the reason you ask for boldness is because you need boldness. And I imagine their boldness was a little bit shaken by those threats. But the wonderful thing is when they went back and they were threatened, when they got bad news, they did what we all should do when we all get bad news. They, get, they went and found some believers and lifted their voice to God. doesn't say they went and found some believers and had a, had a, had a talk about how to handle it. Doesn't say they went and found some believers who would sympathize with them. Said they found some believers and with one accord, all together, they lifted their voice to God and they prayed. And what they prayed was, they, first of all, they acknowledged, God, this is not a surprise to you. You told us this would happen. Hundreds of years you prophesied this was going to happen. Everything that happened to Jesus, everything that Jesus went to and went through for us, you saw beforehand, it was part of what you had arranged to happen. And so we're not surprised that there's still opposition in this city. But we're asking you that you would grant your bondservants boldness, that we would speak your word with boldness. And we're also asking you that you would extend your hand to heal and do signs and wonders and mighty deeds through the name of your servant, Jesus Christ. The response from God is that they were all, it says immediately the place that they were meeting in was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, that's, that's the answer to their prayer. The answer to all the things they were asking was an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Once again, remember, these are the guys that were filled with the Holy Spirit only a little bit further, a little bit, you know, back, in, in, in a couple chapters back. We don't know what period of time that was, but I don't think it was that long ago. They were filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, but they needed to get filled up again. They didn't need to once again receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had left them. They still had the Holy Spirit, but they needed to get filled. We talked about this a little last night, or last week, sorry. It's just Time just flies that fast. We, a little bit last week, we talked about the fact that when you are filled up with the Spirit... Just common sense tells you if you're full of something, you don't have room for something else. So if I'm full of the Spirit, how much of me is going to be in that mix? Not a whole lot, huh? In fact, none. If I'm full, I'm full. Now, it doesn't mean I don't have my old personality. It doesn't mean I don't, have, you know, have, I forget who my family members are. It doesn't mean anything like that. But what it does mean is that if the, if the Christian walk is a walk about choosing the spirit or the flesh, walking by the spirit or walking by the flesh, we know the flesh has been put to death on the cross with Jesus Christ. And yet the scripture says that new believers, old believers, but, you know, new creations, 
born-again people can still walk in the flesh. The flesh doesn't have the power over you it had before. What do we mean when we say walk after the flesh? Maybe that's not a term you're familiar with. When we say walk in the flesh, that's talking about going back to your old ways. That's talking about doing things your own way. That's talking about the difference between walking by the Spirit, which is being led by God, empowered by God, moved by what what moves Him. Being led by the Spirit goes directly against being led by the flesh. Being led by the flesh goes back to your old uh, your old nature, your, you know, getting yourself ahead, um, putting yourself first, uh, wanting all the things that you shouldn't want that are going to kill you. Um, it really goes back to walking in a way that does not please God because it's walking after your own flesh, your own way. And so we, we know as believers, you got to choose. Do I walk by the flesh or do I walk by the spirit? The flesh has been crucified with Christ. I'm no longer a slave to it. Before I knew Jesus, I didn't have a choice. Before you knew Jesus, you did the same things over and over again, even if you didn't want to do them. Romans 7 talks about that. It says, the things I hate to do, I do. I keep going back to these old things. But Romans 8 tells us, but thanks be to God. Because what we couldn't do in the flesh, we can now do in the spirit. Who we couldn't be in the flesh, we can now be through Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. When I am full of the spirit, When you're full of the Spirit, there are things, there are attitudes that you used to have that you don't have anymore. There are motivations that have changed. There's desires that have changed. There's there's emotions that have changed. Everything is different when you're full of the Holy Spirit. And don't be deceived. Every one of us needs to be full of the Holy Spirit. And every one of us may have periods of time in our life where we recognize a lack of the Spirit and we have to ask, fill me again. Because don't fool yourself, you can't walk this walk out without the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm sending my Spirit to you. If you read the last few chapters of John, they are just filled with Jesus saying, it's going to be okay. I'm sending you my Spirit. The same Spirit that anointed him to do miracles. The same Spirit that filled him with the heart of God. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that lives in you. And thank God for it because that's the spirit that the Lord filled them with when they prayed that prayer. We left off with the, with the verse that says this, and, and, and we'll read it together here in verse 31. When they, were, when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, we know the apostles preached, right? But here, it says everybody in the room was filled with the Holy Spirit. And everybody in the room began to speak the word of God with boldness. So a reaction to being filled with the Holy Spirit is now you got boldness to speak the word of God. So one of the things you start to notice, you start to get more timid about sharing Jesus with your friends, your coworkers, your family. That might be evidence that you need to get filled up once again with the Holy Spirit. You need more of him because when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, where you used to be shy, you've now got some boldness. Where you used to be intimidated by by certain types of people, now you have a love for them and a boldness to share with them. They were all filled and they all began to speak the word of God with boldness. Unfortunately, we most of us have a Bible 
that's trying to help you and puts chapter headings and new titles on paragraphs. And I'm thankful for that. But you got to remember when this was written, it was written as one long letter, one long book. So in my Bible, it splits up verse 31 and verse 32 and puts a heading sharing among believers. That's wonderful. It helps you find the spot. But when verse 32 starts with the word and, which it does in my translation, and I believe there's the implication in the Greek, that tells me that being filled with boldness wasn't the only thing that happened when the Holy Spirit shook him up. We stopped there because that's where the paragraph ended in my New American Standard Bible. But that's not where the, the sentence stopped. Some of you are teachers. And you know you're not really supposed to start a sentence with and. This was our English translator's best attempt at faithfully translating the Greek without it being one long run-on sentence. But in verse 32, it says, and... So if I'm to read this correctly, what they're about to say is still connected with the fact that the Holy Spirit shook the building and filled them up. Yeah. The first thing that they saw is they began to speak the word with boldness. But there was more that came from that. One of those things was that the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Now, if you think spiritually about this, this should be obvious. You gather a bunch of people. You think how, how dysfunctional church can be when you put a ton of people together that wouldn't have hung out anywhere else and, and they're different ages and different classes and different races and different groups and different work in different fields all over and you throw them in the same room and you say, now you're a family, love one another. Yeah. Eat together. Do projects Go, go, go work together, love one another, hang out together. That'd be a difficult thing without the Spirit of God. Impossible. Josh is right. But here's what it says. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were of one heart and soul. Does that sound like a group of people that are just trying their best to get along? No. Sounds like they're on the same page. They got the same heart. They got the same soul. And that doesn't just come from a bunch of people who just happen to be, you know, just happen to be of the same interests and the same, um, same, you know, hobbies and the same desires. Because you remember how the church started. If we read to the beginning of the book of Acts, started with 120 meeting in a room. But the first addition to 120, now you talk about messing up the ratio. 3,000 were added to 120. Now, you think the culture might have changed a little bit? Yeah. You got 120 people who know each other and, and got a system worked out. You add 3,000 people to that and you just see what happens. See, see, how much the, uh, see how much everything shifts when you add 3,000 to 120. Not only that, but you remember, if you read Acts 2, those 3,000 were from all different parts of the empire. They spoke different languages. Now, you might, you might say, well, weren't they all Jews? Uh, in fact, most of them in Acts chapter 2 were Jewish believers. Now, but they were Jewish believers that had come and been transplanted all over the empire. 
It says there were Arabs and Cretans and there was people from Italy and there was people from, from Antioch. And, well, I don't know if there's, no, there wasn't people from Antioch, but there's people from, from uh, the Parthians and there was people, uh, I'm trying to do it all by memory, but there were people scattered all over the place, a bunch of different languages. They come together and they all are part of one church now. Now, even if they're all Jews, they all would have had a natural tendency to huddle together. The Greek Jews would have hung out with the Greek Jews, right? The Easterners would have hung out with the Easterners. The Hebrew Hebrew Jews, the ones from Jerusalem, would have hung out with the ones from Jerusalem. But that's not what happened in this church. They start gathering together. They have the same heart and the same soul. And the reason is they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Bible talks about us being a body. But a key to us being a body is us being connected to the head. Now, if I, I'm separated, if my brain goes dead, my body parts can't function individually. If my body parts are doing something different than what my brain is telling them to do, there's a disorder there, and that's a real problem. And so... When you are all connected to the head, you're all getting signals. Like I've said before, if I walk across the room, I've got different body parts doing different things to get me to the other side of the room. My hands aren't trying to do what my feet are trying to do. My lungs aren't trying to do what my eyes are trying to do. But they're all working in concert to get me to where I need to be. My brain's giving them different tasks, and they're all pulling it off. If they tried, if the hand tried to compete with the feet, or if the nose tried to compete with the ears, we'd have a problem. But they are not competing, they're working together. They're doing different things for the same goal and the same purpose. Not to elevate themselves, but to bring it to the goal that the head decided. And so when we're connected to the head, which is Christ... When we're full of the Spirit and we care more about the kingdom of God and the Spirit of God than our own personal little kingdoms that we try to build, we tend to work together pretty well. When we're full of the Holy Spirit, we catch His vision as opposed to ours. And when we all catch His vision, you all tend to work together really well because you realize this isn't about me. At the end of the day, it's not going to count if I built my own thing. 1 Corinthians 3 says it wonderfully because 1 Corinthians 2 has been talking about the depths of God and, the, and the, the unknowingness of his will, all of these things that he wants to reveal to you by the Spirit of God, all this wisdom that he wants to share with his people through, because you've received his Spirit. And it says, because you've received his spirit, that spirit searches the depths of God. That spirit shows you the will of God. And just when you're getting fired up to say, oh man, I get to know the will of God. I can know the deep things of God because, because he's given me his spirit. And who knows the heart of God but the spirit of God. And that's the spirit he gave me. I can know these things. I can embrace what God has for me. Just when you're getting all excited. 1 Corinthians 3 says, but I couldn't talk to you as spiritual people because you were still acting fleshly because there was bitterness and there was strife. He says, if there's all that stuff there, aren't you acting like mere men, like normal people? And you might think normal is a, is a high goal. I've, I've been aiming for normal all my life. I've just been trying to be average. Don't tell me that's a bad thing. 
He says, you weren't created to be normal. You're not mere men. You're part of a body. And later on in that chapter, because he gets on to them, he says, you've picked favorite preachers and started little groups that followed these people instead of getting part of the same group that followed Jesus. He says, at the end of the day, and he talks, he's talking to ministers for a minute there. He says, guys, at the end of the day, when we stand up and, and are accounting before the king for all that we've built, he says, at the end of the day, there will be those who built on the foundation of Christ, and there'll be those that built on a different foundation. There will be those that used precious materials, and there will be those that used cheap materials. And in the end of the day, he says, some people are going to notice that all the things they did with their life, all the work that they put into it, all the stuff they tried to build will burn up. And at the end of the day, they themselves will be saved as though through fire. That means it was a close call, guys. But, but thank God, Jesus died for you. So you're saved. But unfortunately, there's nothing left. There's no crown. There's no reward. You're saved. Thank God. That's, that's something to rejoice about. But all your work didn't count for anything because you tried to build your own thing or you tried to do it your way. So what is he saying? Well, the evidence, he says the evidence of the flesh is that you're fighting, is that you don't get along, is that you have factions. Oh, Lord, what would he say about 2014 denominations? That, and don't think because we call ourselves non-denominational that we're excluded from that. We got groups that might as well be denominations. Come on. I know we like to think that, you know, you might like to think we're not part of a denomination. We have our factions. What would he say about us today? I would hope we're moving further and further to unity. The solution to that, solution to unity, is not to have a leader that just forces everybody to say, a strong leader that says, this is what we should do, and everybody goes, I guess we should just try to do that. The answer and the, the solution to getting unity in this little group and with all the believers in Lloydminster and beyond is that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we are unified with Him. If we're unified with the head, we'll be unified with one another. It's not about trying to, trying to get together and say, what could we do that would be unifying? Instead, what we need to do is say, we need to catch the heart of God. We need to be filled up with the Spirit of God because without Him, we don't have a clue. And without Him, any unity we have is going to be a fake unity. We need to be unified with the Holy Spirit. And when we're unified with God, we'll be unified one with another. When we're submitted to the head, we're going to be working in unison one with another. There's not a church in town that Jesus doesn't desire this for. We're all a part of it. And I'm talking about churches that preach Jesus as Lord, as the only way, the truth, and the life. So I'm not talking about the church of the first unicorn or something like that. <laughs> There's a lot of groups that might call themselves a church. I need to qualify that. <laughs> True believers, all right? Praise God. So here it goes on. It says they were of one heart and one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? 
We would all just like to move on quickly. <laughs> but one of the things that happened when they were filled with the Spirit, notice that it says that stuff did belong to them. The difference was they didn't claim it was theirs. It was theirs. But when they were filled with the Spirit, they said, we're all one. We're one family, one body. So what's mine is yours. So they had everything in common. Now, we notice here, and I've said this before, you notice that the, the apostles didn't force this on them. You notice that nobody took their land away from them. They had land taken away from them, but it wasn't the believers that took it away. It was the, the ones that were persecuting them. What happened was a genuine change of heart. And they said, hey, if we're one, and we're all part of the same body, we're all headed for the same place, you need something? I've got something. Hey, you need something? I've got something. Who am I to tell you you can't share with what I have? Because we're all one here. So then it goes on and it says this, and with great power, do you notice all of these things are starting with and? So we're still connected with filling of the Holy Spirit, shaking of the church, and with great power. The apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. Do you know what abundant grace means? More than they need. Abundant grace was upon them all. That doesn't just mean, guys, sometimes our one-dimensional view of grace, you might think that just means they kept messing up, but it kept being okay. Abundant grace, according to the New Testament, Yes, there was a grace that covered our sin, thank God. That grace that was Jesus Christ dying for us, setting us free. But there's the grace that enables you to walk out the will of God. Enables you to, uh, Paul says, by the grace given to me, I can say this to you as an apostle. He says, he says, I was not fit to be called an apostle, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, the grace of God will set you in the place of ministry that God's called you to and enable you to walk it out with power. Great grace was on them all. They were full of it. They were full of the grace of God. Abundant, more than they needed. They were walking out the plan of God. And though they were human beings, they weren't acting like mere human beings. It says for. So once again, the sentence begins with a connecting word. For. What's the sentence? Abundant grace was upon them all. For, so here's how we know abundant grace was upon them all. For there were not, there was not a needy person among them. Now, I've said this so many times before, but I feel I need to say it again. If you read verse 32 and said, verse 33, verse 34, and said, here is evidence that God wants all of our governments to turn communist, you, you might be on the wrong track. Because number one, it wasn't a government that did this. Number two, it wasn't forced upon them. But number three, it says, <laughs> here's what happens. If you've ever seen a truly communist nation, because he, see, uh, earthly communism says we are our own answer. We can handle this. We need each other. We're going, we can do this. In fact, this, it's, not a, it's not a surprise. It's not a coincidence that communist nations turn to be atheist nations. Russia, China, or Soviet Union, China. You see this Cuba. The churches are put down. And in fact, what ends up happening is you don't have a bunch of rich people. You have a bunch of poor people. Here's evidence that God did something here. When it was a work of God, 
It wasn't forced on them. They gave freely. Nobody took their stuff. They gave their stuff. There's a big difference. Big difference. Huge difference. Gigantic difference. They gave it freely. It was was theirs and they said, I'm not going to claim it. I'm going to give it. Then watch what happens. There's not one needy person among them. Now they stepped into the same covenant promise that God said to the Israelites, his people. He said, there will not be one poor person among you. We might say, okay, it's because everybody got a revelation that God could bless them. Amen, but I think it's also because God gave a revelation to those that he gave something to that there wasn't just for them. And they knew how to let it go just as easy as they'd received it. If they saw a needy person, they said, you don't have to be that way for long. And the ones who had shared with ones that didn't have. You know what? According, if you read further in the scripture, you see that they had a system. If you had a guy that was just leeching off the group, was just saying, this is a nice deal. I'm needy. Give me money. Hey, man, I got more time for video games or whatever the equivalent of that was in the first century. Apostle Paul wrote it out very clearly. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't get to eat. So they didn't have people leeching off the system here. They might have had some people who couldn't work at the time, and they took care of them. There were widows. Now, today, and a, widow, a widow today is different. A widow today, we still need to take care of our widows, right? Absolutely. A widow today can, you know, depending on how old they are when they're, when they're widowed, they could still work for a time. They would still get government assistance, all of this thing. But back then, you didn't get any of that. If you were a widow, it was mostly the men in the workforce. Most women, there were women in the workforce as well. We got people like, uh, you know, like Dorcas, Lydia that, that worked. You know, you've got people that, uh, Anna and I, uh, sorry, uh, Priscilla and Aquila both worked together in the tent industry. But, uh, you know, if your husband died and he was the breadwinner, all of a sudden he, he's gone, it, it wasn't a lot of options for you especially if you were older. And there was no government net catching you. So the church said, you're ours. But now here's the deal. They said, if you're going to get, if, here's, you're, no, but, no part of the body is dead and just sitting there. We're all still going to do something. So if the church is supporting this widow, she's going to be devoted to hospitality and she's going to be devoted to prayer. She's got a part to play. It may be different, but she's got a part. And she's worth something. She's got value. Oh, man, do you imagine how everybody felt? You know how people feel when they're not doing anything and they're just kind of an anchor? Nobody likes that. There's never hope with that. There's never joy with that. Now, I want to say that carefully because some of our our elders have served enough that it's time for us to, to, you know, pick them up. But I've never met one on fire for God senior citizen that says, I don't want to do anything anymore. Their role just changed. They might not be out there doing construction. They still got something to do for the Lord. And if that lady, all she does is she gets down on her knees and she prays every day. She is doing far more than you could ever see until we get to heaven and we see the work that that woman did. So she, they said, if you're going to do this, we will support you. We will take care of you. Here's your job. You still got a part to play. You're still part of the body. You pray. And you take care of anybody. If they're coming into town, you be hospitable. You make them some food. You let them stay in your, in your guest room. And, and they did it. And the church didn't have one needy person among them. Can you imagine that? The grace of God. We're so abundant. 
that there wasn't one poor person in the group. And you got to know that the, the first converts, some of the biggest converts in this group started out as poor people. Started out not as the rich living in the palaces, but the normal everyday people. And there wasn't one poor among them. Great grace was on them all. And the reason it says here that there was not a needy person among them was that there were owners of land or houses that would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. People had extra property, they sold it. I don't believe they, they sold the property under their house or they would have been homeless. But they, a lot of them owned plots of land. They sold it, they took care of one another. Now once again, this is all coming from the fact that they got filled with the Spirit. I want you to see the root here. When we're filled with the Spirit, every trace of selfish ambition gets pushed out and what gets replaced is the Spirit being not ambitious for ourselves, but ambitious for the kingdom of God. You get excited about Jesus. You are aware of Jesus. He is the only thing that matters in your life. And so because He matters, His body matters. And suddenly you've got a relationship with people you might not have known 24 hours earlier, but you care for them. Oh, we need this today. In Canada, we're used to having our space. We're used to having our own separate hobbies. We are so separated most of the time that it is a miracle when we can get on the same page and meet together two, three times a week. That's an absolute miracle. And many of you have sacrificed a lot to be able to even be here tonight. In Canada, there's a different set of values that we've elevated. And yet, as the church, when we're filled with the Spirit, our values change again. Back to His values. They would lay them at the apostles' feet and distribute to any who had need. When I read verse 32 and I see they were of one heart and one soul, I desire that greatly. A desire to be part of a body. And I already believe we're heading in that direction. But I want more of it. That to be filled with the Spirit, you will be less filled with the flesh than you ever have been in your life. In Galatians chapter 5. Many of you know this well. So aware of God, so full of Him, that the flesh was not the issue. You see, the less full you are of the Spirit, the more you are concerned with yourself and your kingdom, what you got going on. But the more you're filled with the Spirit, the more that stuff fades away. Watch this. Galatians 5, verse 13. says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And did you know as you serve one another, you serve Jesus? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. Now, why would you bite and devour one another? 
We get less fill of the Spirit. We get more filled with our own agendas. People are in our way. People are annoying. People are an obstacle. The, the less we are filled with the Spirit, and you'll see this in any church where the Holy Spirit is slowly getting pushed out the back door, it's not long before you have little groups and programs and factions and nobody has anything to do with one another. Nobody wants anything to do with one another. They might have their little cliques, but those cliques are at war because, they, because people will get in, in the way of your selfish ambition. And when you're working as part of a body, the problem with being part of a body is you're glued to other body parts. Boy, wouldn't I be better if I just chopped off and run off of my own. So when you're glued to other body parts and you're not headed in the same direction, they're not just not a help to you, they're a hindrance to you. But it says, take care that you're not consumed by one another. In verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Do you see the answer there? I mean, you can sit in your room and go, I've got to stop carrying out the desire of the flesh. No more flesh, no more flesh, no more flesh. Bad flesh, bad flesh. Uh, beat the flesh, I hate the flesh. You know what? Let's do an exercise. I think we've done this before. Everybody in the room, whatever you do, I want you to resist this thought, okay? Can I help you? Resist the thought. Whatever you do, do not think of a pink elephant. Don't think of it. Anybody successfully not think of a pink elephant? No. By spending all my energy trying to resist a thought, I just really thought about the thought and I embraced the thought. If your whole life is trying to resist the flesh and resist sin, you'll find yourself in sin. The answer to resisting the flesh is to walk by the Spirit. So if you're trying not to think of something, a pink elephant, best thing you could do is think about something different. The way computer disks used to be, um, it still is to a degree, but they're, they're changing. But uh, typically if you were to have a, a computer disk and it's full of ones and zeros and that's all it really is, just ones and zeros, that it's a language that forms something. Um, if you deleted something, uh, it would, might remove it from your directory, it might make it go away, but it's really still there. That's why a forensic uh, a team could come and get your computer and they find some stuff that you thought you deleted. And hopefully there's nobody in the room that that's an issue for, all right? <laughs> Maybe if you sold your laptop and you don't want somebody getting personal information, all right? So what you do, if, you were to gra- if I were to grab my Mac right now and bring it out, my laptop, what, what I could do is it's got an option on there. If I'm going to sell my laptop, instead of just deleting everything, and it's still there. Those ones and zeros are still there what you do is you override it with a bunch of zeros. You don't remove it. You can't remove them. They're still there. You can overwrite them with something new. Then they're really gone. That's the only way you really get rid of that information on a disk is you write something else over top of it. Then it's gone. And so it's sort of like that with our brains sometimes. We try not to think of something. It's still there. What you got to do is renew your mind by the word of God and, and begin to think of something different. Begin to think of what he thinks. Set your mind on things above and not on the things beneath. Let him wash your mind by the word. Do you notice he says that? That we wash our mind. We're washed by the word. Jesus didn't just say, Satan, stop tempting me. He responded with the word of God. 
And another thing is, he spoke it. It's kind of dumb to fight thoughts with thoughts. You fight thoughts by your mouth. It's out of your mouth. Uh, James says your mouth is the rudder that steers, steers the whole ship. You can get your tongue right. You can get your whole body right. Anyways, let's keep reading. He says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's the answer. That's the answer. If you want to stop walking in the flesh, start walking in the Spirit. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But, thank God, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. That means they're obvious. Which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy. Oh, you're seeing a pattern here. It was easy enough when we said we were talking about sexual immorality. And you're like, I'm married. I'm living a good life. All of a sudden, things like jealousy and strife and outbursts of anger creep into the same sentence. Disputes, dissensions, factions. Uh-oh. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Did you notice that he manages to mix a lot of those sins we think are worldly sins with a lot of sins that find themselves quite at home in the church? And we go, but they're different. <laughs> teenager doing any of the things, oh, I'd smack him upside the head. Meanwhile, you don't get along with sister so-and-so because she baked the wrong kind of bread at a love feast. <laughs> and who's going to smack you upside the head? Just these things, things like these, so if you thought this list was exhaustive, it's just things like these. <laughs> Which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Which means you keep doing these things, you shut yourself off from all the things that God is trying to work through you, to you, and, and through you to, to everybody else. The kingdom of God working in your life is not present because you've replaced with all this junk. But, oh, thank God there's a but, amen? But the fruit of the Spirit... So he says that these are the deeds of the flesh. If you're walking after the flesh, if you want to ask, am I walking after the flesh or am I walking after the spirit? I don't need to give you a quiz. We don't need to get in a back room and pray and hope God will tell you. It's obvious. Yeah, I've, I've got little evidences. I've said this before. There are little clues in my life when I start to get low. And I find that busyness is the enemy of the spirit in my life. Maybe it's different for you, but for me, that's a thing. If I get busy, I get less prayer time, I get less time to worship God. I, I, there's, there's less of relationship and communications with me and Jesus than I get annoyed with people. I don't want people to call. I don't, you know, I, I, I get frustrated easier. I get, you know, all of these things happen. <laughs> I'm just talking about me. That's it. That's, that's my barometer. That's my little warning light. On my dashboard. Thank God. It's, it's easy when you're married. It's real easy when you're married to know when you're low on the spirit. Because that, that person will test it right away. They are a walking warning light. 
You know when you slam on your brakes in the ice to see if your brakes are working correctly? That's what a marriage will do for you. You'll find out real quick. <laughs> marriage is one of the greatest things. I've, I've, it's the greatest experience I've ever had in my life. Well, it, when you're alone, it's easier to fool yourself into thinking you're doing fine. It's people that test you, it's, and this is the thing. That's why the Spirit draws us together and the flesh separates us. That's what I seem to be seeing here. Deeds of the flesh are things like factions and dissensions. The Spirit unites, the flesh divides. You find yourself divided, it's a deed of the flesh. You find yourself drawn to people, that's the Spirit working in you. It says now, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It does not say you do these things, you'll get more of the Spirit. It says this is the fruit of the Spirit. These aren't the things that get the Spirit, although I guarantee you walk in those things, the Spirit will have more, more and more place in your life. But this is the evidence of the Spirit in your life. So if you're low on this stuff, cry out to the Lord, fill me up, Lord, because I know I need this. Have you noticed that pretty much all these little fruits have to do with how you react to other people? Oh, but I want to live a monastic life and by myself in a little room and, and me and Jesus, and yet that's not what he really called you to. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. That seems to have to do with other people. Joy, okay. Joy could be by yourself. But people test the joy right away. <laughs> peace, okay. So that's peace, that's wholeness, but that's also, you know what it's like when you have strife, you don't have peace. Patience. People, people test patience. Kindness. Yeah, kindness is not really about you and your goodness faithfulness, okay. You know, it's pretty easy to keep your word to yourself. Keeping your word to others, staying true, walking in integrity. Gentleness, gentleness is not about you, it's about other people. Self-control, the Lord help us, that's in a lot of areas. Against such things, there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Does that mean... That once you've crucified them, they'll never ever happen in your life again. It's not an issue in your life? No. It means it has no power over you. It shouldn't have a place in your life, but you can still let that creep in. You realize he's writing this letter to people that have believed. And the next verse settles it nicely. If we live by the Spirit, okay, and we do, right? We live by the Spirit. Here's the answer. Let us also walk by the Spirit. You need to live by the Spirit because you can't walk by the Spirit unless you're, living, unless you're alive in the Spirit. When you received Jesus, you were made alive in the Spirit. That's what happened when you got born again. You were made alive. But if you have been made alive, now walk in the Spirit. Ephesians 5 says sort of the same thing. It says, if we are, now we are children of light. Walk. It says, no, sorry, now we are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He tells you, this is what you are. So you see, what you are is determined by what Jesus made you to be. Through his sacrifice on the cross, through his resurrection, he has made you to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He made you righteous. You've got to decide to walk righteously. He made you light, 
and set you free from darkness. Now you need to walk as a child of light. He set you free. He put to death your flesh, and he made you alive in the Spirit. Now walk by the Spirit. Here's the evidence, guys. We can, you know, the, the evidence here is when we start to get divided and separated and angry and jealous and forming our own little groups, it's evidence that we're low. If we're more timid and we can't preach the word of God like we used to, we don't want to share Jesus like we used to, that's evidence of a couple things. The love of God is low because the spirit of God is low. And the boldness is low because the spirit of God is low. You see, it's not a coincidence that Paul said to Timothy, God has not given you the spirit of timidity. The spirit of timidity is not the Holy Spirit. No. If you're intimidated by people, that's a spirit of timidity. Doesn't mean it's an evil spirit. That's just your natural self. But he says, Timothy, God is not giving you a spirit of timidity. Here's the spirit he's giving you, a spirit of love. He's not talking about three different spirits when he says this. It's the same Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of love, a spirit of power, and a spirit of a sound mind. So the spirit of love, because of this Holy Spirit in me, is a spirit of love. It causes me to want to share the gospel with people because I know they need Jesus. Jesus is not just an enhancer for their life, a vitamin that'll make it better. This is the difference between heaven and hell. This is the difference between death and life. This is the difference between darkness and light. This is not just your life will be a little bit better. This is your life. You're not alive at all. You're dead. And you can be alive. Receive Jesus and things will start to make sense. Well, at first, things may make less sense. I'm not sure. You know, it's not like things get real easy all the time. But boy, is it the difference between death and life. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that I may have life and have it more abundantly. I walked in darkness, but now I walk in light. I was blind, I now see. I was lost, and I'm now found. I was dead, I've come alive. This is exciting. So the spirit of love will say, these people need Jesus. That that same spirit is a spirit of power that enables you to go and do something about it. Love sees a sick person. Power says, you got something that, you you, you got Peter and John say, what we have, we give to you. Power says, I've got something for that sick person. A sound mind is is a wonderful thing because it keeps you from straying into your own doubts and thoughts and fears and arguments that you have within yourself and keeps your mind stayed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This church that we're looking at, when they got filled with the Spirit, they have one heart and one soul, one mind, because their hearts and minds were fixed on Jesus. When you're full of the Spirit, you are aware of Jesus more than you've ever been aware of Him in your life. Your eyes are more set on Him than they ever have been. Your eyes lift from the things of the world. The Bible says you've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Then it goes on to say, since you've been raised up with Christ, set your mind on things above where Christ is, not on things below. So when we're full of the Spirit, we're thinking of higher level, we're thinking of higher things than just the little stupid things we used to worry about before. I'm sorry to call it stupid, but His ways are so much higher than ours. 
He doesn't say, my ways are higher than yours, dummies. So just trust me when I do things you don't understand. He says, things which I have not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those that love him. He says all of these things, and he says, but the Spirit reveals these things to us because we've received the Spirit of God that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which means he doesn't just say, my thoughts are higher, you're down there. He says, my thoughts are higher, come up here. Let me tell you how to think. Let me tell you how to dream. Let me tell you how to talk. Let me tell you how to live. Jesus wants to change our lives. I'm not talking about, oh man, you need to take this vitamin, it'll change your life. Oh man, you need to, you need to, try, you need to watch this movie, it'll change your life. I'm talking about a real life change. When's the last time somebody, somebody said this will change your life and it really actually changed your life? I'm talking about a genuine life change. If it's a genuine life shake, that's, that's good for me too. Thank God for it. Amen. Amen. I want to be full of the Spirit. I want to be full of boldness. I want to be full of love. I want to be full of an awareness that we are part of a body. I want us to say the deeds of the flesh may have tried to separate us, but the, the being filled with the Spirit has united us. And not one thing that we have is our own. Everything belongs to him. Because it belongs to him, if he says give it, we give it. A spirit-filled believer lives life with an open hand. The open hand does not resist God when he tries to give you something. Because you don't know what that's for. Don't say, oh, I'm not worthy. I shouldn't have it. If God gives it, just open your hand, shut your mouth and take it. Actually, don't shut your mouth, thank him for it. And then when he says to give it, don't ever close your hand on something and say, mine. Keep it open. Say, Lord, as freely as you've given, so I will freely give. Because that cycle never ends. We keep giving, we keep receiving and giving and receiving and giving and receiving. And that's a life full of the Spirit. That's a life God can use to bless a lot of people. Would you stand up with me? I don't want the Holy Spirit to be part or just part of a doctrinal statement that we put on our website. You know? This is what we believe about the Holy Spirit. I don't, I don't want the Holy Spirit to be something we sing about in some of our songs or preach about in our sermons. I want the Holy Spirit to be evident in everything we do. Evident in his power, evident in his transforming work, evident in every little thing we do that people could look and go, there's something going on. They're not normal. They're not normal. And it's not just that they're different. They couldn't do what they're doing without God. They couldn't do what they're doing without the Spirit of God. They couldn't be who they are without the Spirit of God. So let's ask and we will receive. Amen. Lord, we want that. God, we've been just given a picture of uh, only the beginning of what it could look like. God, our goal isn't to be like the early church. Our goal is to be like you. 
We're sure inspired by these people, but we know you want us to go even further than that. So, Lord, we ask that just as they walked in one accord, just as they walked with one heart and one soul, that you'd unite us in the same way, not just the group in the room tonight, but all of those that call on the name of the Lord, all of those that have, have been born again and received into your family, that we would unite in your spirit with your love and your power. God, that you would embolden us and grant us that we would speak your word with boldness, that you would do signs and wonders and miracles all throughout this city and the regions beyond. And Lord, Father, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to, to, to be bigger and to embrace the kingdom of God, that we would no longer see what we have as our own little kingdom, but we'd see ourselves as part of your big kingdom. And so if anyone has need, let us be the ones that meet the need. And not just make them a permanent recipient, but at some point, Lord, by them being blessed, they can be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name. We want it. Fill us again. Fill us with your spirit so that there be less of our own ambition, less of our selfish, and more and more of who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen.